invite you to remain standing for our reading of Scripture today as first we read out of Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, and then we flip over out of the New Testament and read Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 through 8. Hebrews 20, 17 says, You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or male or female slave, or ox, or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Hebrews 13, beginning in verse 5. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can anyone do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I invite you to be seated. Let's pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, as scripture is read, as word is proclaimed, help us here with joy what you say to us this day in your name. Amen. Well, today we conclude a worship series we've been on for a little time now. Uh, we've been on the Ten Commandments. We've been taking a commandment each week and looking at how it was uh, given to Moses out of Exodus and then applying a New Testament scripture out uh, that applies to it and how it uh, impacts and affects and is still pertinent to our life today. And so today we end just like the way we began. We started with the beginning, so we'll end with the end, with the Tenth Commandment. You shall not covet. You shall not covet. I was talking about my grandparents earlier with uh, Cherry and David, and it's, it's ironic that I was going to tell this story because we're talking about how they, they move around and, and, and such, but... Uh, uh, my, my grandfather was in ministry for 47 years in the Church of the Nazarene. Many of you know that. And um, he got into the ministry as soon as he graduated high school. He turned 18, got married three days later, and then went straight into the ministry. And uh, being born in 1927, you can do the math and engage about the time and the history of our nation that that was. <clears throat> And then uh, my mom uh, was one of five kids, and so um, she was a PK with four others. And, and at that time, of course, in the life of our nation, five kids on a pastor's salary was not a lot to go on. In fact, his first salary, his first church in Sumner, Washington, was a quarter a week, if they got it, and a chicken on the door. He said they didn't know if they were ever going to get that quarter week to week, but they always got the chicken. Nobody get any bright ideas. <laughs> you may have to wring somebody's neck. Sometimes, though, as they said, the chicken did not always suffice with a family of seven. And so my grandmother would tell a story, and I don't know if this is the exact details of the story, but this is my version, and it sounds good, so I'm going to use it. <laughs> there was one day where they were out of food, and Grandpa, and this, and this would be him, so I know the story is at least semi-true, it would be him. He grabbed her up and said, okay, let's 
go shopping for what we need for our meal and only what we need for our meal. And Grandma was a quiet woman, and she said, but we can't, we don't have any money to pay for it. He said, come on, let's go shopping. And then as he uttered to her the phrase that they live by, the saying, the believing that they live by, God will provide. And so they went shopping. They got just enough what they needed in their cart. And she was saying the whole time, she says in her story, I don't know how we're going to pay for this. I don't know how we're going to pay for this. And Grandpa, if you'd have known him, he was just jolly go, go lucky and talking to folks in, in the, uh, uh, the supermarket. And, and she's just wondering and praying. And, and as they're going by, you can, he said, you can hear her praying under her breath, Lord, how are we going to pay for this? And he just kept saying, God will provide. God will provide. And and they get up to the register, and they got just enough for what they need, and she still doesn't know how they're going to pay for it, and somebody at the register in front of them turned and said, I don't know why, but I feel called to give this to you, and it was a $5 bill, which is just enough to cover the food that they needed. God will provide. Everybody say that with me. God will provide. That is the basis of this commandment. If we look at the commandment as it's presented to Moses in Hebrews, the Hebrew word for covet is shamad, and it, it means an inordinate desire. And in actually, more appropriately, it is a verb, and I like this definition. It means to desire passionately. To desire passionately. Now, this command, if you haven't already noticed, it's very unique compared to the other commands because uh, while the rest of the commands are based on actions that one uh, can typically be tried and found guilty of, this commandment is based on thoughts, on attitudes, and on passions. Did you notice that? Why would God institute a commandment based on my feelings. This is not something I can be tried and executed or tried and held accountable for in a court of law or, or in, in, in a physical way. So why would God institute this commandment? It's because God knows that when we desire something passionately enough, we are willing to sin to get it. I've been there. Many of us can probably say the same thing. This commandment is all about pre uh, preventing the attitudes, the thoughts that lead to the actions of all the commandments. One of my favorite resources in this particular uh, series has been the Heidelberg Catechism, and I, I've quoted that often for you, and I want to do it again today. When it says, what is required of me out of the 10th commandment, and the Heidelberg Catechism says this, that not even the slightest desire or thought contrary to any one of God's commandments should ever arise in our hearts. Rather, with all our hearts, we should always hate sin and take pleasure in whatever is right. So let's take a step back for just a moment. And as we've so often done throughout this series, I want to first explore what this commandment does not say. 
The commandment does not say that it is a sin to desire nice things. Okay, are you with me? The commandment does not say that it is wrong or a sin to desire nice things. Most of you know by now that I'm, I'm a techie. That I like high-tech things. Monique is chuckling because she knows it's true. If the printer's acting up or not scanning like it so often doesn't do, guess who gets first in line before we call the tech people? The tech pastor. <laughs> From computers to my phone to my car, right, Kyle? I love high-tech gadgets. Kate can testify to this, too, that whenever I put my mind to getting something, I usually research my way into getting it. Now, I'm using myself as the example, but that's different, and many of you can probably relate, that's different from putting our desires for things or our desires for relationships ahead of God. Or allowing or allowing it to consume our lives so much that it gets in our ways of walking with God. You know, that's uh, different, obviously, from, from, from killing for something or lying to obtain something or... Or, or stealing, or, or acquiring things that, in ways that, that we obviously would say is wrong. But you see where, where this commandment is going, just in this? This commandment is a root sin. Everybody say root sin. It means all kinds of other sins can stem from it. Just like branches stem from a tree. It often starts with a passionate desire that for some can be all-consuming. The next thing that this commandment does not say is this. It does not say that all coveting is bad. Okay? It does not say that all coveting is sinful. There are some things that are worth coveting. Have you ever heard the expression, I covet your prayers? I don't know about you, but prayers are worth coveting. Don't you agree? How about this one? How about this one? We should desire so much the grace and the love of God that we would be willing to do anything to further our faithful relationship with Christ. Do you agree? Say amen. amen. Coveting, therefore, is wrong when we passionately desire with the intent to act upon that which is not pleasing unto God. So, pastor, what does this commandment say? Well, I'm certainly glad you asked. In order to answer this question, I want us to hearken back to the Garden of Eden. Listen to Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. Genesis 
chapter 3, verse 6 says this. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to her eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. The word delight that they use there is a word that is, referred, that we, that is referring to coveting. She coveted the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil so much so that we as human beings disobeyed God in order to partake of it. I think about Adam and Eve and, and how they had everything going for them. They had uh, the ideal relationship with God, one that we will never, ever get to experience. But the desire of the something of this world was so much that they lost it all because the serpent started whispering lies into their ears. And discontentment entered into their lives. You want to know what picture that, that I imagine whenever I, I think of the devil whispering in my ears? You ever have just a, an annoying mosquito buzzing in your ear? what I think of whenever I think about the devil whispering in my ear. You know what a good uh, response to a mosquito whispering in your ear is? I call it a whack. Everybody do that. It's a whack. That's a great way to get rid of that mosquito. You know what else? That's a great solution to a devil whisper to. A whack. As you know, though, just like the mosquito, the devil has a nasty habit of always coming back. Therefore, just like the mosquito, a whack is only a temporary solution. But what would an end-all solution look like? Picture with me, then, if you would, a society where people were content with what they had or content with what they, they could have in any given time. And it wouldn't mean that we wouldn't work to better our lives. It wouldn't mean that we wouldn't seek for our better good or for the good of our families or for others. There's nothing wrong with wanting to better ourselves, wanting to better for our children. There's nothing wrong with that. But what it would mean is that when we see something we want, we wouldn't start dwelling on it in an unhealthy way. Are you with me this morning? We wouldn't start pondering how we could obtain it by any means necessary. We focus instead on the antidote. The antidote to lying, the antidote to murder, the antidote to adultery, the antidote to idolatry. That we would whack away the selfish tendencies of this world and instead put on the selfless ways of Jesus. Someone say amen. amen. And this is exactly what 
the scripture from Hebrews is talking about. Contentment is found in a well-ordered, selfless life. A life that has priorities in place, which means we do not overvalue our money or our possessions, but instead find satisfaction in what we do have and in what we can have. But Pastor, why would I want to do that when the world out there is telling me, oh, you can have the brand new iPhone. We'll only charge you $29.95 a month for 36 months. Or my favorite one now is, we'll give it to you for free, but you've got to keep our service for 36 months. Otherwise, we'll then go back and charge you for it and leave us. So why? What is my motivation for wanting to live a life like this? Folks, it's right there, Bruce. Chapter 13, verse 8. Everything, folks, that we have, our possessions, everything that we acquire, it will all pass away. Folks, we didn't come into this world with anything, and guess what? When we leave, we won't leave with anything of this world either. But God, you ready? Are you ready? God is so good. All the time. God is so good All the time. that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our motivation for wanting to live a coveted free life is Jesus. Our life is not found in what we own but in whom we belong. Our life is not found in what we own, but in whom we belong. When we've experienced the love of God in Christ, we've experienced enough. And it empowers us to be content with what we have. Because everything we have is a gift from God. God is enough to provide for all our needs. So we do not worship idols, but instead we worship God alone. We do not misuse God's name and we enjoy the Sabbath because we recognize it for the gift that it truly is. Sins against others fade away because we're happy for them and their joys. And we seek their good even if and when we disagree with them. Folks, Jesus was the perfect model of what it means to love God and to love our neighbors. And that, as we have talked about through this entire series, is what the Ten Commandments for us today is all about. Loving God and loving our neighbors. Jesus gave us the image of thanksgiving. You know, we got Thanksgiving on the horizon, but I want to talk today about thanksgiving. You know, you know, Jesus honored his parents with the way that he lived, but even more so, he glorified his heavenly Father in heaven. Jesus never murdered anyone. Jesus never committed adultery. He never stole. But even more than that, Jesus blessed those he who cursed him. 
And he prayed for those who hurt him. He brought hope to those guilty of adultery and even had the nerve to promise a thief on the cross a seat beside him in paradise. If that's not loving our neighbors, sisters and brothers, I don't know what is. Someone say amen. Jesus never lied, but is the embodiment of all that is true and all that is truth. And rather than coveting what others had, he set the glory of heavens aside and took on the form of a servant in the filthy world that his father created and was obedient to God to the point of death, even to the point of an embarrassing death on a cross. And you want to know why? Because God is so good. Folks, if we want a captivating vision of what it looks like to live out the Ten Commandments, we already have it. We have the best example we can ever have. We have Jesus. Now, Pastor, Jesus was different. Jesus was was perfect. Jesus was sinless. There's no way I can be like Jesus. Folks, that's absolutely correct. Is there any way that any of us can be perfect like Jesus? Everybody shake your head no. But you know what we can do? We can love our God. And we can love our neighbors. And we can try our best to be and do our best in all that we do to live out those commandments, to live out the steps that Jesus first modeled for us. And when we do that, we will stumble and we will fall. But guess what? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's in the effort that we as humanity are seeking perfection. This is the gospel in the Ten Commandments. That we would live in a way that Jesus lived. That Jesus modeled for us the way that Jesus loved God. And the way that Jesus loved his neighbors. How would our world be different if each of us individually put that at the forefront of our thoughts as soon as we wake up in the morning? How would our church and our churches be different if the first thing that we think about is how can we love God today and how can we love our neighbors today? This is the gospel message for us. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Amen.